I think that embracing your uniqueness, what you specifically are, not what other people think that your position should be or anything like that, what you specifically are is imperative because at the foundational level, when you're building your confidence and you're building your, you know, whatever that foundation of the things that you, you know, are going to be affiliated with and what you believe that you stand for, you, you have to do that based on what, who you are and what you bring to the table. You can't, you can't try to be what somebody else thinks you should be or whatever. Because if, if that's at the foundation, your foundation is going to fall. When you have, as you build up, I promise you it'll fall. Do I really look like a guy with a Welcome back or welcome to Up Close and Personnel with Alex Brown. Thank you for listening to the show. I'm your host, Alex Brown, Director of Recruiting with Rice University. Week in and week out, we've had on some of the top directors and recruiters from across the country join the show to talk about recruiting, scouting, and personnel in football. We've covered everything from building relationships to networking to roster management, evaluating, and everything in between. But this week's different. This week, we have a current NFL player that doesn't just know about recruiting. He's lived it. Joined by Calvin Anderson of the Denver Broncos, we discussed everything that he has learned throughout the process of pursuing and making it to the National Football League, with the main topic being name, image, and likeness in college football. Now, Calvin is someone I've gotten to know very well over the past year as he signed with Rice out of Westlake High School in Austin, Texas in the class of 2014. While Calvin did choose to grad transfer after Coach Bailiff was replaced by Mike Bloomgren, our current head coach. He has always found time to visit Rice for practices, sometimes just popping by the office if he's working out in the area, and he's been an avid supporter of our program, which is something that we talk about in terms of how he's embraced being a graduate from both Rice University and the University of Texas. I wanted to bring Calvin onto the show, not only because he's a Rice alum, but mainly because he's one of the brightest and most down-to-earth players I've been around. He's experienced so much during his playing career and most of all brings a ton of value to the conversation with his professional advice to players regarding their name, their image, their likeness, branding themselves, managing your social media, managing your day-to-day grind and setting goals. Just in terms of this episode, we covered what his training looks like, what a good recruiter looks like from his perspective, how to set goals and be purposeful with your time and energy, the influences he's had on and off the field, why he chose Rice out of high school and UT as a transfer, what he's learned since his rookie season last year, and as mentioned before, name, image, and likeness. With all that being said, I'm excited to bring onto the show Calvin Anderson with the Denver Broncos. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Calvin, welcome to the show. Alex, what's going on, my guy? Not much. So uh, you're you're heading out for some tacos after a workout. Like, what's what's the tacos <laughs> what's the taco spot in Austin, Texas? Austin, Texas. If you're ever in the town, you need to hit Torchies. I mean, I think we have a Torchies tacos in Houston too. But uh, Torchies tacos is always a good spot, man. Yeah, there's like three of them. It's amazing. Um, so obviously we're all in this COVID time period. It's, it's different for everybody. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like I feel like you mastered the art of timing when it came to COVID. <laughs> you couldn't have, you know, signed your NFL contract uh, at a better time to to join the the Broncos. Um, 
so I guess my first question is how much different is this, you know, off season versus, you know, last off season when you were coming out, you know, into the draft? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy to do this comparison, right? Because, you know, you compare it, you know, your rookie, your rookie off season is always like, they say it's technically like the, the craziest because you got, you know, a bunch of stuff that only rookies have to do and you're acclimating to the NFL. And then you're comparing that to, you know, a never before seen COVID off season period where we have virtual OTAs, which has never happened and a bunch of other stuff, man. So, uh, it's, it's, the comparison has been really wild because these are both probably, um, off season experiences that I will never have again. So, um, I guess there's some benefits to that, but, uh, Definitely not how I expected my first two off seasons in the NFL to go, but uh, you live and you learn, man. And I'm glad about the timing. The timing could have been better. So. Yeah, and so like for for the you know the recruits for the players in college right now that are listening, um, like what is your like what's your daily grind? Like what what's a a day of training like for you right now? Yeah, so I've been on this. Um, I've been on this wake up in the morning and workout and then workout also at night. So kind of like a two a day, um, you know, you lighten it up so you don't overload your body, but, um, Monday, Tuesday, I'll hit that. Um, and then Wednesday we have days off. So it's like recovery. So you do some stretching, some mobility stuff, keep your body loose. And then Thursday, Friday, same thing, just in there banging, um, training. And, um, other than that, other than the training, that's kind of like the training schedule. Obviously, eating is a priority, especially for alignment. So you got to eat all day long, which is a task in itself. But other than that, um, the offseason has been pretty nice um, opportunity for growth, opportunity for you to kind of consider some other pursuits. Uh, I know a lot of guys go back to school. Um, I've, I've gotten the opportunity to expand on some of my professional um, some of my professional ventures within the realm of football, like with the express men and Rubik. So yeah, day in the life is kind of just train and figure out what else you got going on. But if you don't have anything else going on, also a good opportunity to play some Call of Duty or some Fortnite, which I've done a good amount of. Nice. I love it. And, and, uh, you know, having you on the show is, is like the, the perfect opportunity to talk about, um, later in the show, we'll talk about you know, those professional ventures that, that you're doing because um, the hot button topic is, is name, image, and likeness and you yeah. know, ma- maximizing your platform. And uh, I think that, no that you, you've done a really awesome job of being able to do that at two different schools and now you're in the league. So I know you could kind of hit on all different angles of that. But before we do, yeah. want to ask you the five questions I ask everybody on this show. So just starting off, you know, you dealt with recruiting both coming out of high school and coming as a transfer prospect. But what makes somebody a good recruiter? You know, as, as a player, I think there's no better gauge of kind of the honesty or, or the uh, genuineness factor, right? Like players have a, a second sense for that. So I guess one, like what, what was your process like as far as vetting out coaches? But I mean, the big question is what makes somebody a good recruiter in your mind? Yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'll tackle the I'll tackle the what makes somebody a good recruiter first. I, when I was going through the recruiting process the first time around, I started real light. Right? I was I was lightly recruited um, out of high school. Um, got my offer from Rice my junior year, and um, 
you know, I, was, I I started my recruiting started to pick up a little steam after my senior year, even though I got hurt broke my foot my senior year, but started playing better, more schools come around. But um, the thing that the thing that drew me to Rice, and actually, interestingly enough, wasn't about the recruiter when I was at Rice. It was more about David Bailiff. But um, since then, I've grown to appreciate the recruiting position specifically. But I think that it's honesty and transparency, man. Like as a kid, you know, you're you're hyped up and you're told all these you know things that um, seem to be dreamlike, right? Because we, I mean, you're coming from high school, obviously playing at the college football level is is a dream for a lot of kids. So um, I think for me both the first time around and the second time around when I was a graduate transfer, it was honesty and transparency. So me and my, me and my parents um, actually sat down and made a list of criteria, um, things that, you know, we thought and I thought that I wanted and needed to have um, out of a school, whether that be academics, whether that be um, athletic support, um, where we were going to be, what city we were going to be in, um, so we made like a big list of like a bunch of different things uh, that I thought I would want to have as a part of my experience as a college athlete. And so after we did that, we started ranking schools based on visits and based on um, talking with coaches, you would rank the schools. And that way we had some kind of objective criteria to base a decision off of that wasn't just emotional in the moment. And uh, you know, I think that worked out to my benefit both times. But specifically about the recruiter, I think, my experience with Herb Hand, my experience with Ronnie Van Clark, who was the offensive line coach at Rice, my experience with BC, who I know you know well, Brian Carrington, a recruiter from Texas. I think that the transparency piece was is very important, and it got even more important the older I got and the smarter I got. Because um, the more you can see that somebody is being authentic with you and telling you the truth of what they believe, um, then the more the more reasonable it seems as, as somebody who's going to make a school decision um, that you could trust that person and that person's going to be that same person when you're there. So, um, yeah, I'd say that, that's the biggest thing. Obviously, there's other things that go into it too, right? Like you and, you and BC share this, this in common, I think. Um, as recruiters, being, being engaged with the age group that you're recruiting, being kind of on the up and up culturally, I think is a big deal because if you can't relate to somebody, then it's hard to – convince somebody that you know they should listen to your advice and go to the school that you represent you know so I think um, being culturally aware um, and, and kids have kids come from different cultures right so I know that's a task um, and a talent but uh, being culturally aware and being uh, being relatable with the kid I think big deal yeah I, I think that's it's really cool that you you had that process of like okay I'm gonna be objective at the start and mm -hmm. then and then kind of let my feel for my gut instinct kind of kick in and yep. be the X factor, not the entire decision-making tree. I think that's awesome. Okay. So with that being said, who's the best recruiter you've seen or been around and why? And and this doesn't have to apply just to, you know, your experience going through the process. Cause obviously you probably hosted a bunch of people on different yep. official visits. So you got a chance to watch, you know, different coaches come in and out of colleges that you were at. So, um, yep. Who's the best recruiter you've been around and why? So I'll keep it non-personal unless you want me to, to make it my personal uh, based on my experience. But I think that Mac Brown is, is the best recruiter that I've been around. I know he doesn't even have like an official recruiter title. Um, but I mean, he instantly connects. It's like 
you already I think the kids already go into an interaction with him having so much respect for him because of what he's done and all that, but he instantly connects with kids. That's like he's got a, he's got an ability to do that, man. It's like whether it's over football, whether it's over family, whatever. Um he's got that ability to like instantly connect with kids. So So he's the best what, what, did you did you like go to a bunch of I mean, obviously you grew up in Austin, we'll get into that too. Uh and that was probably the, the dream school. But did you go to a bunch of camps and, and interact with them that way? You know, it's crazy. I really didn't. I um, my interact. I had a. I only had one encounter with Mac Brown when I was young, and it wasn't at a camp. Um, and then I knew people that were getting recruited by him, so it was kind of like a like a a testimonial from other guys. But it was it was like you could just. It's just like the energy, it permeates, right? Like it permeates through other people, even when they're giving a description of what happened. But yeah, when I was, I mean, I really didn't go to a lot of camps. I went to, I think Rice was one of the only camps that I went to when I was in high school. But um, yeah, my experience with Magrand was limited, but spoke volumes. Yeah, especially, especially peer to peer. Like, like when you hear it from mm-hmm. somebody else that's like going through the grind that you're going through. And they're explaining to you, like, hey, this guy connected, like, right off the bat. Yeah, yeah man, so, special. So, okay, you know, kind of flipping to your, your college playing career, both at Rice and, and at uh, at Texas. You know, normally, for this question, I'll ask, like, hey, who's your biggest influence on you as a recruiter? But for you, you've got a different kind of angle as a player, as a guy playing in the league right now and still kind of pursuing that dream of, you know, winning a Super Bowl. So – uh, my question to you is, who was the, had the biggest impact on your playing career once you got to the college level? Because obviously there's, you know, formative years and people that kind of mentored you growing up probably. But when it comes to, like, college coaching, um, you know, who were some, like, of the biggest impacts on you and why? Yeah, so when I was – for my time at Rice, I spent four years at Rice, um, RFND, man. My offensive line coach was Ronnie Van Clark. And – I think that having him as a coach completely changed the tra- trajectory of my football career. Cause when I got to Rice, I got to Rice at 235, mind you. I was 6'5, 235 as an offensive tackle. <laughs> and, um, and I think, you know, I registered my first year and in the spring, you know, was playing really well and all this, you know, just playing the little things on film that I needed to for people to see that I could play. And then he sat me down and he said, look, like, athletically it's there and I need you to gain weight and I need you to et cetera, et cetera. We talked about goals and all that. And, uh, so I see you starting, I, guess I see you starting all of your years here. And, um, if you can do this, if you dedicate yourself to this and, you know, I think that he was really hard on me when I was young, when I was a young player. Um, and rightfully so, because there was, there was things that there were things I needed to do to get to where I ended up being. And I knew that he, I knew afterwards, now I know, um, that he saw those, he saw the way that I could get there um, before I did. So um, really great. And he recruited, he was the guy who recruited me from the jump too, right? Like um, when Bryce was recruiting me from Georgetown High School, actually, before I went to Westlake. Um, and so he, he saw these things in me early, way early on. And you know, I really appreciated that even when I got to Rice and, you know, the season started shaking, you know, things started changing when the season actually rolls around. So um, it was good to see that he can, he was consistent about what he thought about me. And it turned out to be uh, a big deal when it came to how I maneuvered my time at Rice. And I think that's a big reason why I ended up starting 36 straight. There. Yeah. So then like, 
the uh, the goal setting that that happened after that redshirt freshman year? Is that something that that you do year in and year out? Like like how do you approach goals and and kind of your process for for getting better? Yeah, I think goal setting is something that happens every year, every se- every season outside, not football season, but every season of life. Um, obviously, you walk into the off season, you're not in the football season anymore, but you have some kind of goal for what you want to be when you come out of that. And so I think it helps to um, have an idea of where you're going, even if you don't plan each, each step in between. I'm not a big planner, but I think that if you set a goal and you're working towards something, um, that's a better way. That's a better way to, to achieve success. So I think walking into every season of life, even this, this crazy season we've been in with COVID, um, you know, I've, I've had my goals for what I want to come out of it, looking like, feeling like, um, what I want to have done in that time. And, uh, yeah, I think that was really beneficial. That's something I learned young, my dad being a military guy, and, um, and all the other things that he does. Um, I think that was something I learned really early on in life that he taught me, which was be a goal setter and you can't, there's nothing you can't do. So if you set your mind to it, you can do it. So set your mind to it. That's that's the most setting part is setting your mind to it. I love that because it's it's uh it's also about the process for you because you you mentioned in there the the thing that I noticed was you said I'm not going to worry about planning out every single step along the way because that's right. part of the journey because it's right. kind of like that it's the dichotomy of both setting goals but also embracing like the present and like being there and and embracing Absolutely. the journey. You said that you played you know playing some Call of Duty. Playing, you know, playing a little bit of video <laughs> games, but uh, what have you been reading? What have you been, what have you been watching? Like, like what, what have you been doing with your downtime? Yeah, so I mean, I've been, um, I, uh, what have I been watching? That's a funny, that's a funny thing to ask. I've actually been watching the stock market a lot. Um, okay. And you know, when you after you after you after you, after you enter your professional career, even before I guess, because um, I did some of this in high school, you start caring about what you're doing with your money if you're smart, um, developing some financial liter- literacy. So I've been just, I, I mean, obviously with COVID happening, the stock market has been volatile to say the least, but uh, it's funny. I've been, I've been watching that a lot. Um, my free time, I've also been traveling a good um, bit between cities, not between states. So I've been keeping my six feet distance, obviously. Yes, sir. Um, but just seeing, seeing a few friends in, uh, in isolated in isolated instances so we don't uh, spread the disease and hanging out with my family a lot. Um, and I've been, um, honestly, I've been watching, uh, I've been watching, uh, random Netflix movies that have really low rating. So I'm not sure if I actually want to recommend this to anybody listening, but if you, uh, if you get entertainment out of things that are poorly directed or poorly scripted, then, I recommend it maybe. <laughs> so that's been kind of interesting because it's almost like an addiction, man. It's like find a find a movie with a low rating. You're like, man, how how bad can it be? And then it is, it is as bad as it's, as bad as it says. So you're actively seeking out train wrecks. <laughs> you can put it like that for entertainment, though. I'll tell you what, though, sometimes it's so bad that it's that it's kind of good. <laughs> I don't know how to make sense of that one, but oh man. Uh, do you get your tacos yet? No, they're uh, they're making them still. So they're, I think they're gonna text me whenever they're ready. So oh, nice. Good. Yeah. So let's get into your to your journey to where you are now. So, um, 
you mentioned just a second ago, like your dad was in the military. So, you know, just kind of talk me through what that was like growing up in that, in, in that environment and kind of having that discipline early on and, and really seeing that, you know, from, from an outsider, from like knowing you, from your involvement with Rice, the way you approach people, the way you present yourself, you know, both in person and on social media, and the way you would kind of attack like your life. Like it, it, it doesn't surprise me that you have a military background, you know, because the professionalism. So like, was that something that your dad instilled in you in an early age or like, what was it like growing up? Yeah, I mean, so my dad, Kelly, jack of all trades, really. He, um, my dad, um, played football. Um, actually, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, uh, but I posted a video the other day. Cause me and my dad were, were doing one on ones actually after a workout, which was a bad mistake by him. But, um, my dad played defensive end in high school, finished his senior year with like 15 sacks, 15 or 16 sacks, made all state, um, and went on a full ride scholarship to play at Army. So he played DB at Army. Um, but yeah, he, he was obviously military from that. He, he went to medical school right after his four year stint at West Point after he graduated. So he's been, a, he's also been a medical doctor and then he went back to theology school and is now a, a minister as well. So my dad does everything, man. He, he just went back and got his MBA a year and a half ago. So, um, I think what I learned young, um, even before he started to instill these things in me, I think it permeated this idea of, um, one, chasing your dreams because I think that, you know, as I watched him, you know, when you're a young kid, especially a boy, um, dad is Superman. My dad was my Superman and still is in a lot of ways. But obviously when you, when you grow up, you realize nobody is invincible, but I used to think my dad was literally invincible as I'm sure every kid does with their dad. But, um, my dad, it permeated because I think I, I watched him in the way he interacted and the way that he moved in his circles um, and I, you try to emulate that, right? And I think it was a really good thing for me to try to emulate when I was young, because when I got to the point where he was teaching me how to do some of these things, how to what, what the what the benefit was, and you know, studying SAT words that uh, in a way that's not just for the PSAT or the SAT, just so that you have a widened um, vocabulary, so that you're able to communicate better. I used to have a uh, an issue when I was younger with communicating my emotions. And uh, I, I didn't know how to deal with it for a long time. But I realized after as my dad was kind of teaching me the value of, you know, learning these words and the ability, the ability to communicate in general, um, I developed that, that ability to um, diversify the way I communicated with other people using different words or structuring sentences differently. And so anyway, all that's a roundabout way to say I think I learned um, the value in being able to communicate concisely and professionally. Um, so yeah, I think that definitely came from my dad. Obviously, we grew up with a lot of rules because my dad was from the <laughs> army, so it was no BS, man. Like it was do your chores, it was wake up at a certain time, and uh, you know, it, at the time, like everybody's gonna say you hate it, but then you learn the value of it years later. And then I'm hoping this still isn't the case, but they say that once you become a parent, you do the same thing. So I'm waiting on that one, so I won't, so I won't, I won't give it to that yet. But I think to this day. Um, as of right now, I'm really appreciative of my dad for, for that structure he gave me in life because football being a very structured environment in itself, um, you know, it allowed me to flourish, man, when it came time to be structured. So what's, what was the worst rule of Anderson oh, household? Uh, okay. So I, this might not be a big deal to a lot of people, but you have to remember, put yourself back in that, 
high school, waking up every morning, going to school for eight hours a day. Put yourself back in that mentality because even I've gotten detached from it because I'm like, I can't even imagine I used to do that. But um, I used to hate the rule we had about me waking up to feed the dog because we always had dogs. And we had two dogs at the time that I had to wake up to feed them. I had to wake up and feed the dogs at 7 o'clock, Alex. And so when I say at 7 o'clock, I mean if it's at 7.01, then you're getting extra this days and you're getting grounded, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's 7 o'clock and it's no BS. So the only thing that was accepted is if I fed the dogs a little bit early. Um, and so that I, I hated that rule, man, because I was never a morning person. I'm a, I, I like, I'm a night owl, right? Ironically, night owl. But yeah, I like is. to stay up. And um, that was a, that was the rule that I disliked the most was having to wake up and feed the dogs at, at or before seven o'clock because, of course, I had many times where either I didn't slip through my alarm or didn't come down there in time and I got in trouble for that. <laughs> so I was is, never going to wake was, up. Was he the type that's that's if you're not five minutes early or five minutes late or is it like on the on the dot? I think my dad was if you play if you play with the uh, boundaries like if you if you stretch it even a little bit like that's why I think he was so adamant about seven, not being it not being a seven oh one but if he saw you coming down or feeding the dog and it was after the time to feed the dog then there's there's no talking your way out of it but if you were like you know six fifty eight or right at seven he's gonna give it to you he's gonna say okay that's fine but the second you're a minute late no bueno dang. So was it was it a an interesting uh, divided household when you guys played army? It was as divided. I'll tell you what, it wasn't as divided as it was when we played um, Texas. My 2015 year redshirt freshman year. My obviously my mom went to Texas. Dad, my and then I went to Rice. But um, it was divided because we played multiple years, right? We played army a few years, and uh, I think my dad was trying to be really supportive of me but that didn't mean that if army made a play he wasn't going to you know cheer a little bit so it was like trying to find that balance right he's rooting yeah, he, for his son but he's also feeling the school pride and he loves football so he's playing both sides of the fence a little bit yeah playing both sides of the fence i think my mom i think my mom who i call mama k i think she mastered it um because when she came to the rice game she had a shirt that was split down the middle once I was Rice, once I was Texas. So I think she did a better job of being on both sides of my dad, though. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, th I think that's – I didn't I didn't know that your mom went to, to UT. That's really cool. Uh, undergrad and law school. So she's UT through and through, man. That's awesome. Okay, so kind of going – you know, you've got the rules all set in place and, you know – it's it's shaping you into the kind of young man you're you're becoming, right? And you go, I didn't know you went to Georgetown before Westlake. So, you know, you kind of dealt with transferring at the high school level and the college level. So um, what led to you transferring to Westlake? Was it just getting better exposure, better competition type deal? No, it actually was we um, – my family had moved into a new house. And so when we moved, we were obviously out of the um, – out of the area that would be allowed to go to Georgetown anymore. But we still tried to commute back and forth every day. We got, a, we got permission from the school to drive back and forth, <laughs> which was like, and the place we moved into is like an hour away. And so um, every morning for a while, for a few weeks at least, 
um, I would drive back and I, I would drive all the way to Georgetown, go to Georgetown, then come all the way back to where we moved to. So um, it got to the point where that was becoming unrealistic, and um, it was so convenient because we lived like five, ten minutes away from Westlake. So uh, I did not want to switch schools, but it ended up being it ended up working my benefit. But yeah, it was actually originally just because we moved into a new house. Nice. I, I meant to ask. Uh, so you were talking about how you know, the, the cyclical pattern of parenting, right? Like you hate it. And then you, you do the same thing to your kid. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing you have dogs or you don't have dogs. I don't right now, but I promise you I will in the near, hopefully near future. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay. So you, you talked a little bit about, you know, choosing rice and, you know, what led into that and the kind of honesty and transparency that that needs to exist with the college recruiter and you know coach Ronnie V's impact on you but the thing that I want to ask you about so I'm an econ major but like in the most basic sense like I was business administration with a focus in econ so so I took like one class of uh econometrics and I don't remember any of it um you're 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 over here mathematical economic analysis so <laughs> what is this um and what led you to, to majoring in that that is impressive so i'll tell you what man it started out because i wanted i actually came to rice not knowing that they didn't have uh, a business major at first and so that's what i wanted to major in in college and um you know after after my first semester really um trying to figure out what I was going to do and I knew I was always good with numbers I've always been really good with numbers and so I knew I wanted to do something that was tailored towards business or finance something like that and um I have always been the type of person that like to challenge myself so that's why I chose the MTech major at first and um you know I'm I'm glad I did cuz it pushed me in a lot of areas and what it is Basically, if you think about if you think about the cross between high level economics, like if you're studying economics and unnecessarily high level math and where those cross, if you think about where those cross, that's like optimization. That's probably the best gauge of what math econ really is. Um, yeah, not fun. A lot of those classes are really not fun. Yeah. Um... I was the kid who, when we started uh, business classes, right, business intro classes, and first week of business Cal 1 or 2, I don't remember which one it was, I think it was business Cal 1, uh, they gave us like a five-page paper, and like I had to, like it was an essay type paper where you had to like add all these formulas and crazy stuff, I went straight over my head, I dropped the class within a week. Took it at a junior, took it at a junior college, and then you know just focused on the other stuff that I enjoyed, like the actual like macro and microeconomics. So um, oh, yeah, wow. I I got lost on the the high level math side because I just don't do that. But um, shoot, that's how how has that helped you with you know you talked about financial literacy, um, like with looking at the stock market. Is that is that has that helped you? Yeah, I would, I would say, so I think preliminarily, I think it helped me because um, of the of the basic reasons. Like it, it causes you, 
when you take the type of classes that are, that are necessary for that, um, it causes you to challenge yourself and um, develop higher level critical thinking abilities because some of the stuff, it's not like you get to the point where you're talking about theories and stuff where it's not like you read a textbook and you can find the answer. I know a lot of colleges like that, but um, so you have to, you have to be creative. Like your mind has to kind of go outside the box. So I think it helped me in that because um, I think I've that, that sense of thinking outside the box and that higher level critical, critical, critical thinking is a, uh, is a skill that developed. I think it developed as a result of, a lot of those classes I took, and I feel you on econometrics because not a fan. I actually got a D in econometrics. I'm not afraid to say that. So um, I think that with regards to the stock market, um, I think a better understanding of how the economy works, like our specific economy works, and how math and probability and um, how all of that is involved at the high, at the at a deeper level of how you know. Ec- like when you study economies, different different economies function differently based on different variables, right? But I think our economy um, is always going to fun- function, at least in the way it's structured now, is always going to function on supply and demand. So I think when um, when we got to those higher levels and trying to gauge how math is involved, and um, there's some level of predictability with our economy, and I think that helped a lot um, with reassurance when it came to the stock market because. The stock market is structured so that in the long run, in the long run, there's in the long run, there's there's a level of predictability. So, um, you know, you can take that for what it's worth. But I think that helped me a lot because you feel reassured with making decisions that seem uh, that might seem like they're random, but they're not as random as they. That makes sense. No, it does. And and I, I love the decision making and the critical thinking. The phrase, those phrases, because that's the only reason I went into econ. Because I, mm-hmm. I was just sitting in like the the intro class. So I'm like, this makes sense. Because there's so much like, you you got to have some intuition and like, yeah. kind of take, you know, what look like disparate facts, right? Disparate situations, and be able to like put it into the whole. Because it's, yes, it, it it makes sense that you're an econ major then, because of how much you enjoy puzzles and stuff. And we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, but uh, what was it like, you know, playing for coach bailiff and then, you know, now you've kind of seen the program not only grow, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, the, the investment and like the facilities. Cause you got to see, you know, Brian Patterson be thrown up. And I mean, you transitioned from the old place to the new place. And, yeah. you know, now we've built an indoor facility. So what's it been like to see the kind of the transformation of that program? I'll tell you what, man. Um, it's really exciting because I really do love Rice. And, um, you know, I think that from where from where we were when I started, when I started playing for Rice and where we were my senior year, which is only four years, um, just seeing the growth in that period of time was – I think I think it was it was reassuring. It was reassuring for the future. So a lot of affirmation of things that were promised, I guess, years before that never came to fruition, um, finally did. So and obviously since Bloom has been at, been at the helm, I think that the, the the trajectory of Rice is definitely up. Like I was just I was just on a um, a call with some guys talking about um, they were talking about Texas and all these other schools, and I brought up Rice and I said, look, 
the trajectory that the school is on, if with the with the pieces that Rice already has, because Rice is in Houston, Rice crazy academics. Um, and then obviously we were talking about the team this year, which I'm really excited about. Um, I think that Rice is is going in this direction. You know what I mean? And so um, all all the developments have been really helpful helpful for me as a fan and also a, an alumni um, because you know we want to see Rice succeed. You know, so. Um, really happy to see the indoor facility go up. Like that's, that's when I realized, okay, like I remember we talked about this when I was up there, I was trying to figure out when it was going to be up. And, um, you know, we, we have PTSD. Some of these older guys have it even worse than me because they were promised so many things and then years went by and it never happened. So seeing that go up was like a good statement. I think we I had a conversation with a bunch of my buddies, a bunch of old Rice alumni who are all my best friends. And, uh, I think we were all pretty, excited about that that's 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 real so and you know just to kind of piggyback off of that like how have you been able to you know continue to maximize that that rice connection because i think you've done a really good job of um you're playing the best like we, we talk about the best of both worlds as far as high academics and big time football but no doubt. You're, right now you're getting the best of both worlds of being a ut alum and a Rice alum. And I think that's yep. super unique. So how how have you been able to kind of juggle both of those two things? Yeah, let me tell anybody, especially if recruits are listening, Rice alumni will know this without even having to say it. Um, Rice, when you when you when you show somebody that you have a Rice ring, when you um, talk about your experience as a Rice graduate, um, that's impactful. And I think Especially people in people in the world of academia are obviously know rice, but people professionally recognize rice because we have um, we have such a good rapport. I think as as different rice graduates who have gone on to do great things, and so um, you know, I'll, I always tell this funny story. I was on a plane ride. I don't remember where I was going. It might have been actually going from uh, going from New York to Denver when I signed with Denver. But um, there was a guy on the plane. And uh, it was like an older gentleman, maybe in his 50s. And uh, I walked on, had my rice ring on, and obviously I'm carrying a whole bunch of bags because I'm going to play football in New State. And uh, first thing he said to me, I'm huge. I got all my, you know, all this football gear on. And uh, the only rice thing I had on at the time was this was this rice ring. And he says to me, um, what year? What year and what college? And I said, oh, yeah, rice. Class of 2018, I was Brown College. He said I was class of, um, I think he says 70-something. Um, and he was also Brown College. And he said, um, I can tell you're some type of athletes. I have football stuff on. and But I know that when you move on after and you, you transition to your professional world, you're going to have a successful career. Rice sets kids up for that. Um, so it's it's nice to meet another Rice graduate, something like that, something to that effect. Um, and I tell that story because um, I've I've never had – I've never had somebody see me or recognize me for my rice, any kind of rice affiliation and not say something extremely positive, especially professional people. And, um, and I'm very, very grateful for that because um, the rice, the rice name itself, the rice degree speaks for itself. I remember that was something that they harped on when I first went to rice. They told me that in recruiting. I know that y'all are still telling kids that, but it is true. Like it really does. It's more true than I think I thought it was. I think it's more true than I realized it was at the time where I was you know, being recruited and decided to go. So, um, I think it's a big deal for, for guys who have gone to Rice or are going to Rice to, to remember 
um, the impact that that rice degree and that rice ring has. And so, you know, I've been able to, obviously, I, or this might not be obvious, but I talked to David Lebron pretty often. We became friends when I was a freshman at Rice. He's the president of Rice University. And, um, you know, I stayed connected with him. I stayed connected to some other Rice football alumni um, who have graduated. Some have gone on to play in the NFL. Some have just gone on to be wildly successful, which is a common theme for Rice graduates. Any recruits are listening. And so, um, you know, you realize it's a tight knit family. And so it's a, re- it's like, it's like a really selective fraternity, right? Like not everybody can get in, but the people who are in it, you want to maximize your opportunity to meet other people in it because we all want to help each other. It's a really small, tight knit group. And so, um, it's been really cool to see some, meet some interesting, um, and successful Rice graduates. And, and they're all, they're all successful in whatever lane they're in. So, um, very proud what? to be a rice graduate. And and just I mean to to add to that, like just being intentional and like engaging yeah. like the people that are in right in front of you. You know, like you could have very well uh-huh. gone gone through the motions and just been a football player, but you did more than that. Like you 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 knew you had more goals than just letting the game use you. And I think that's that's the thing that I try to tell recruits like I I really focus on like not just saying this is the only place for you. Like that's not necessarily the case, but the biggest thing that I try to tell people is like you can either use this game for your benefit or you can let them use you. And um, you know, we're, we'll get into the name image likeness to where, you know, now that's kind of I think what's been good about the name image likeness kind of topic and then the transfer portal is that it now kind of gives some power back to the players in the sense mm-hmm. that like you're not bound you know, by, you know, whatever the NCAA wants to do with you, you know, and I, I think that's, that's powerful. I think that's good because at the end of the day, like you don't have sports without players, like you don't have successful teams without players. So um, I guess talking about, you know, kind of the next step for you was Texas. And I know all those people, you know, Tom, BC, um, all of them. So what was it like? What was it like playing for them? It was uh, it was crazy coming back because you know I grew up in Austin, so it was like coming back to my hometown. And um, the being re-recruited, I mentioned this briefly. Being re-recruited was also a really interesting process. Um, you know, going back into the uh, sort of college free agency of you know trying to find your your home for a final season, and obviously a lot of people needed a left tackle. So um, it was an interesting experience being re-recruited in itself. But I think once I got to Texas, once I made the decision, um, it's just, it's Texas football is just different, man. In that city, Texas football is the biggest thing going on. Having everybody in the city support the football team is just a different feel. When you walk out and there's 100,000 fans out there um, screaming for you to beat USC and it's college game day and all the pressure's on, it's just, it's a different feel, you know? So. Um, it was really cool playing for the hometown team. Um, obviously, I had some some um, some ties being from Austin, and um, I think it was a big deal stepping in. There was a lot of expectations. You know, obviously, they brought me in, expecting me to play well, and you know, coming in and being able to play well and do that for your city that was a big deal. So, um, Tom playing for, playing for Tom obviously came in being recruited by BC, and um, you know, working out with Yancey McKnight. Just guys that uh, have been really good while I was at Texas, and still while I'm while I'm uh, you know when I moved on from Texas and now I'm in the NFL. Like Tom came to my uh, birthday party 
um, after I got back from training for uh, for the combine, or it was either my I think it was my birthday party, either my birthday party or my um, or my party for signing um, with the Patriots. But he just showed up. Him and his wife just said hey, and they ate some ate some food and played ping pong. Like he's just one of those cool guys, man. So um, I've always I've always ever I've had respect for him since that I met him, man. So um, you know I think people say a lot of interesting things about him, but if you ask guys who've had experiences with him, I think hopefully they'll tell you. Um, you know, he's he's a, he's been authentic to me. He's 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 a little different, but authentic. So I appreciate that. I w- I'm glad that he's different. So, um, and obviously you know BC really well. So I don't have to yeah. tell you about BC. Yeah, love BC. So you know, kind of your NFL experience, a little bit rocky to start. You know, sign with the no Patriots. Doubt. You know, get get waived. Sign you. Sign back on with the the Jets, get waived, get the chance to go to the Broncos. So, I guess for I mean, shoot, it's going to be such a weird year for the draft for for guys going into their senior year um, for the twenty one draft. It's going to be crazy because you lose basically a whole off season, mm-hmm. and you potentially lose a season if they kick this thing back. So you know, I obviously there's it's kind of hard to provide some advice on that but like given your circumstances and like making because obviously you have to make a decision to sign with somebody you probably had multiple teams calling you after the draft and you signed with the Patriots so if you could take a step back and give yourself advice before signing with the Patriots what would you tell yourself and you know what advice would you give yourself kind of heading into that kind of process as being an undrafted free agent because that is so much different Yeah, um, you know, obviously that day, um, you know, we all went to Top Golf, and I was, I was very, um, I was very caught off guard after this whole Patriots situation went um, played out how it did. Right, I got I signed with the Patriots. They actually paid me a good amount of guaranteed money, um, and then when I got to, I got to, I got to Foxborough. Three days later, I was waived for. Uh, I was the only undrafted rookie left tackle and they signed a nine or 10 year vet, um, Jared Bell here, um, for like 6 million or something like that. And, uh, as soon as they signed him, I was waived. And so, you know, I went from being super excited and like, man, I'm, I'm signing with the Patriots. Like it's my opportunity. I'll go in and I'll show them what I can do to not being able to do anything. Cause we really just showed up, got gear and we're kind of told the schedule and then I'm waived. Right. And so as soon as I was waived, I, I called my I called my agent. I was like, yo, like, what is going on right now? Um, and you learn pretty quick. The NFL is a business. And uh, I'm very glad that I had that experience because it completely changed the way I navigated um, my relationships with teams and the way I felt about, you know, the status of being in the NFL. You're, you, you have to maneuver yourself as a professional like this is a business because it is a business. It's not like college where there's, you know, this sense of tradition and loyalty and et cetera. It's, it's a business. And in the NFL, it's a business and it's a, it's a results driven business. So it's, what are you doing so that we can justify what we're giving you to be here? So um, I'm glad I had that experience. Obviously the day I, the day I was waived, I, I got a call from the jets. They signed me off waivers, went to New York, <coughs> went to New York the next day, um, spent the whole preseason with New York, um, was actually on elevated practice squad um, to start the year. 
because um, I had an injury. I was balling out in preseason camp, then I had an injury, um, which they let me they which they let me heal through, which I was really appreciative of because I had been playing really well. Then they ended up paying me a whole bunch of money to stay on practice, about almost a full almost a full rookie salary to play, play on the Packers squad. Um, but you know, Denver, I prayed about it, and it was the right move because Mike Munchak is is different, and my opportunity here is um, is perfect for me. So, advice I would have given myself is to not get so caught up. I think I was really caught up in the idea of being on a team because when you're in college, like that's the dream, right? And even before you're in college, the dream is to play in the NFL. So I think I got caught up in that idea, that like kind of fantasy. Um, and I think it took away from me thinking in a way that was you know, business efficient and so that you don't allocate too much emotion somewhere, um, but where you're actually always gauging what's real, what's reality, um, and how much of a real opportunity do I have here? Um, you know, what do the coaches actually think of me getting real feedback? And um, and maneuvering like a professional, man, you have to because that's how you stay around in the league. And uh, you know, a lot of older guys have reiterated that to me, especially some older creative guys I've gotten to be around who started as un, undrafted rookies. And so um, that's the advice I would give myself. Don't get so caught up in just getting there because you should, you should know that you, you can get there. They, you should be you should be thinking ahead of that. You should be thinking about how you can stay there um, and do the best you can when you're at that point, when you're at that level. So that's the advice I would have given myself. I, I think that's super spot on as far as you've got to look at it objectively. You can't get caught up in the emotion of it. It's no different than, than, than recruiting, but it's, but it is a lot different in the fact that it is a business and it does have a bottom line. So then like kind of leaning on the jets, you were there the longest. Were, yeah. were, were, were there any offensive linemen on that team that you kind of gravitated towards or you you emulated or said, okay, that guy's a pro. I'm going to do what that guy's doing. Yeah, the pro, the most pros, pro linemen I've been around. Let me check it, mate. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not disrespecting anybody when I say this either. Kelvin Beecham, left tackle for the Jets last year. It's like his seventh or eighth year in the league. He played four years with the Steelers. That's where he went first. Um, that is a pro. So if you think about a guy to emulate, he has a family, um, takes care of his business, very much business-minded when it comes to how he navigates the NFL, how he navigates injury, how he thinks about his body and preparation week in and week out. That's a pro's pro, man. So I kind of, I was really happy that he sort of took me under his wing, gave me some advice, you know, kind of spoke some uh, spoke some truth into me about my situation there and what he saw and, you know, obviously gave me the, the affirmation, confirmation that I could play, which was reassuring coming from a guy who's played years in the league and been gone against the best. So, um, yeah, Kelvin Beecham was a guy I tried to look at and say, what is that guy doing? And let me do that. Cause he's, I mean, he's been able to stay around and stick around and I know he's a free agent now, but wouldn't be surprised if he got signed late, but he doesn't need to cause he's, he's been a professional his whole career. So he's, He's got enough money saved where he never needs to play or work again. But that's a pro's pro. And uh, man, I think my time in my time in New York might have been a large part of it might have been so that I could watch him and the way that he moves, and the way that he deals with uh, the way that he deals with the stressful nature of being in the NFL because it's very stressful being in the NFL. But uh, I think watching him really helped me. I think you have to have people that guide you along the way you know, that have, yeah. that have been down that path before. So kind of switching gears to our topic of the week, 
name, image, and likeness. When all this stuff hit the newsfeed, like, yeah, the rule is expected to pass in January. You know, beyond wanting NCAA football back on all our video game <laughs> systems, uh, how do you see this thing playing out? Like, what what was your takeaway when you saw it? So, obviously, the first thing I thought was more power to athletes, like you mentioned earlier, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, I think it gives the players more of an opportunity to leverage, um, to, to have leverage, first of all, and then to use that leverage to, you know, provide a better situation for themselves. So I, I think all of those things are good. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see as time goes on, um, how, how it ends up playing out, right? How, how guys end up using their likeness and, you know, what it develops into. I hope it doesn't take away from the value of the college experience because I think, that there is there is some innate value in going to college and graduating, but I know that's not everybody's route. So, um, you know, we'll see, man. I think it's I think overall it's it's very good though. I think that shifting more power back into the players' hands um, is good, especially with especially with the NCAA. So I think any any situation where the NCAA is shifting some level of power or um, ability back into the players' hands, I think is positive. So. Um, I think what we'll see is more because there's more opportunity for you to take advantage of your likeness. I think that you'll see more instances where guys are doing different things and, and showing their unique, what they bring to the, to the table that's unique. Right. And I think that in the long term will provide beneficial for guys transitioning into the NFL. I think they'll start or start from a younger age at um, in showing what they bring to the table. That's different than the next guy, because, there's the opportunity in college football now to benefit off of those things. So those things will come to the light more often. And I think that uh, it'll even become another, another thing that is looked at when you transition, when you're talking about transitioning to the next level, um, you know, guys are going to be looking at what are you doing with that likeness? Because with more power comes more responsibility. Uh, Spider-Man quote. Love it. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know if you listen to the intro one, but I, I threw that in there. First episode of the show. Um, yes, so, I, I, I like the, the thing that you did say about you definitely don't want to lose the value of it. The, the student-athlete model I, I don't yeah. think is broken. Yeah. I think it just – I think this is just a good fix, a, a good tweak. Now, the question becomes how do you like monitor it? Like how does, how does the NCAA keep it from being like at certain schools, certain people at, uh, attached to those certain schools – throwing a bunch of money at players that they come to their institutions, right? So um, obviously there's a bunch of unintended consequences that could follow. How do you – what's what's the route to, like, avoid all that? Yeah, that's going to be tough, right? Um, <laughs> that's going to be really tough, the recruiting, uh, especially with these bigger schools. Does it create more of a gap? Like when you have, you know, with, with these bigger schools, having more leeway with – like you said, these unintended consequences of, you know, attracting athletes with money and other things. So that's tough, right? Because um, it, it does change the recruiting landscape. But I do think that it will be the responsibility of the institutions um, and the different schools to kind of map out how this thing goes at first. Because I think when you start any new thing, the guys who are at the top of whatever that thing is are going to have to kind of show what direction it takes, at least in the beginning. And then um, you make modifications as it goes and um, you mitigate as needed. But I think that at first it's going to have to be observation, man. Like we're just going to have to see how this thing goes 
Um, and I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll think or at least put some energy into preventative measures for, for things like that. But I, I really believe that at first it's going to be watching what, what, it, what does it gravitate towards first so that you know where the issues are going to be and then try to change them in the best way possible. But yeah, I agree, man. I think it's going to, it's going to shake recruiting up for sure. I think so any, then, any, uh, go ahead. No, like what I was going to ask was what is so you've kind of, been down this road well i guess austin doesn't really count but there's there's the kind of the difference between the hometown university like college town and the big city schools yes and the big metropolitan you know metroplexes metropolitan areas like who has the benefit because on one hand you could say there's there's maybe more business or a bigger economy in a bigger city but on the flip side for a college town like everybody in that town is all about that team. So how, how does that play out? Like which one's going to have the bigger, you know, end game, you know, some. I think that this is, this is the, I think this is one of the benefits actually of um, this being introduced because some guys do like the big city feel. And then some guys really do like that. The whole city is going to be behind me. I got the whole city riding on my back. Um, you know, there's everybody's is locked and loaded into this team. And so you're going to you're going to get these different personalities. Um, and I think they'll, they'll come out more. They'll come out more so in this structure than they would have in the old structure, because guys are going to go and be where they see that happening. So if, if let's say if a guy is really in, is really um, is re- really connected to his hometown city, um, loves the feel of, you know, people being in it with him and around him and supporting him. Um, he's going to go to where he sees that happening versus a guy who wants to make the big bucks, wants to, you know, feel like he's, uh, he can make the most money. You know what I mean? Like he can make the most off of his likeness where he, and, and guys who are thinking more business oriented will go to there. And I think they'll both offer their own specific benefits. Um, Who's going to have the upper hand? I don't know. What are guys going to gravitate towards? It depends. And I think you'll see some creativity because I think that the schools are going to have to, um, I think they're going to have to creatively develop ways for whatever they bring specifically to benefit the athletes the most. And so they're going to have to do that even more so now that guys can benefit off their likeness. And so that's what I mean. I think the power being shifted back into the athletes, um, student athletes, prospective student athletes, um, with that leverage is going to cause the schools to have to up their game a little bit. I think bring a better product or at least market a better product um, to the kids. If, if if you could go back in time and, and you were, you know, in the world of name, image, and likeness, yeah. uh, obviously Rubik's cube would be at the top of the board. <laughs> um, so, For sure. it's, you know, I, listening through because you got a lot of fanfare when you were here at rice and you got some fanfare when you were at the the jets about it i didn't know that you did it like 20 to 40 times before every game does that like get you in like flow state or what yeah so when i I would do it before games because it would help me think and so uh i don't even know if a lot of guys do this but i would bring my rubik's cube when we traveled and then when i was home getting jobs i just have it with me and um i would solve it because it it would ease my mind and um I think having to having to use a portion of my brain to think about doing the Rubik's cube, um, there was something about that that was calming. And uh, you know, there's much more thought that goes into doing a Rubik's cube 
than there is about what play you have to run. And so it takes it took some of the pressure off of me because I think I was thinking at a, a lower capacity when I had to consider what I was doing on the football field and et cetera. So, um, you know, it was kind of like getting my mind, getting my mind like energized and, and ready and beat up and then being able to come down and say, okay, I can manage this. Like it put it in, it put it, put the game pressure and all that into perspective for me because it's like, well, there's the pressure to win, but the mental, like the mental capacity you need for the things you're doing is not as high as is the pressure around it that makes it seem. So it was a, it was calming in a way. This is almost like stretching mentally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mental stretching. Good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. So then you're, you're a brand ambassador with them and you have your, you showed me the, the shoe line. Uh, so, <laughs> so how, how did that come together? Like walk me through, you know, what it, what it took to you know get on board with them, you know, how you were approached, um, you know, as, as an athlete at, at the NFL level, like what does that, what does that process look like for, for somebody who just, just doesn't know? Yeah. So um, as we talked about earlier, that, that word being proactive, I actually reached out to Rubik's before I made an official team when I was in camp last year, when all the news, when I was at the Jets was coming out about the Rubik's cube. I went on their official Rubik's page and you know how um, sometimes they'll have like a contact me um, box where you can type in something like a response to something on the website and add your email if you want somebody to write back. So I sent this long message on there. Hey, I'm Calvin Anderson. Here's all the news articles about what I've done over the years. I would love to be, um, you know, work with the work with Rubik's as a brand in some capacity. If you guys see that, blah, 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 whatever. I sent them this long message. And so they wrote back the same day. The guy, the guy's uh, brand manager emailed me that day. and was like, we looked you up. We saw your story. This is crazy, blah, blah, blah. We'd love to get on a call with you. We think we can make something work. Bam. And then a couple of weeks later, um, when we got into the season, we ended up signing the deal and the rest was history, man. And so it started with me actually being proactive. I know for a lot of times at this level, it seems like it's structured in a way where you have your agent and somebody calls your agent and inquires about something and then you have that conversation, right? But, um, you know, I, I like the idea of being autonomous to some degree. So I like kind of, I feel like, I always feel like I can make some, I can make things happen for myself better than somebody else can on my behalf. So, um, you know, I, I like being proactive, man. I just, I didn't know, I was like, this would be a dream come true. And lo and behold, it is, man. Like when I got to Rice, one of the first things people were remembering me for um was the talent show because i did a i saw the rubik's cube at the end of uh, a barack obama impression um and lo, i mean it's just crazy how years later it actually turned out to be a part of my professional career so i actually reached out to them um and so the process after that was you know i got my agent involved and we have a marketing we have a marketing um lady who's really really good at what she does her name chantal works with my agency and then she helped me kind of navigate that situation with them and figure out what was normal and what, what rates were normal for, for doing certain things and we structured out a contract and ended up signing it. We just actually signed an extension for another year. So yeah, I'm excited about that, man. But it came about because I, I messaged them on their on their response board on uh, rubix.com. <laughs> That's sick. That's so cool. Um golly. Uh you know, with that I, I think I just talk about you know, brands in general. So like 
maybe when you were exiting high school and you were entering Rice, you kind of had that thought like, okay, well, this is what I enjoy doing, but what if, what are the guys going to think about me? Like, like the, the kind of like the judgmental side of, okay, well, this is my weird, you know, passion. This is what I enjoy, my hobby, right? How important is it to just like embrace that, who you are and like knowing yourself and then going from that place of like, okay, I know what I'm about and the things that I stand for. Now I know how to kind of quote unquote like market said item or or kind of pursue that route. Because I think like the people that do the best job just from looking at it from a big picture standpoint are the ones that embrace their uniqueness, you know? And yeah. and I, I think that's something that I think people need to know more about. How did you approach not just that one, but, you know, kind of moving on to express like you know how how do you navigate those things yeah so i i let me say this man i completely agree with you probably probably to a deeper level than i'm able to express right now um i think that embracing your uniqueness what you specifically are not what other people think that your position should be or anything like that what you specifically are is imperative because at the foundational level, when you're building your confidence and you're building your, you know, whatever that foundation of the things that you, you know, are going to be affiliated with and what you believe that you stand for, you you have to do that based on what who you are and what you bring to the table. You can't you can't try to be what somebody else thinks you should be or whatever. Because if if that's at the foundation, your foundation is going to fall when you have, as you build up. I promise you, it'll fall. Um, and I, you see that happen with a lot of guys, and that's why that's why I think. I think that's a part of going to Rice, too, because I was really big. I know you mentioned this word earlier, but I was really big at Rice about the status of being being the dichotomy. There's, you know, there's high-level academics and high-level athletics. And so people always say you kind of have to be one or the other or, you know, being one is going to make the other go down. You can't achieve high at both. And at least that's what I was around when I was, you know, with kids that were young Nobody seemed to be chasing that dream. And so I was always, you know, my, that's how my dad is too. I was always chasing that dream. And so that's why I picked Rice too, because I think Rice, not just really good academics, but elite academics. And then with it gave you the opportunity at the at the Division One level to be elite in football as well. And so it gave me that opportunity. I, that's, that's why I have so much love for Rice, because it, morphed, it helped morph me into that being. And that's who I am at the core, is both of those things at a max, as as, as at the maximum level. So, um, yeah, when you get into, when I got into being a professional athlete, that permeated. And I think that's why Rubik's gravitated towards me. And I actually just sent me a, a new product launch. They made, you wouldn't believe this. We, uh, we have a, uh, a designer, a designer Rubik's and Pac-Man bag. I'm going to send it to you because the concept doesn't sound right right now. If I just say it out loud, but if you see the bag, you'll be like, yo, like, it's actually hot. I'm going to wear it this season, uh, probably with the shoes or something. But um, anyway, I think that the idea of being that uniqueness, that is you, whoever you are, like not just you, Alex, but you, whoever is listening or you, whoever, who is thinking about this, um, it's imperative. It's the only way to do this effectively, because if you're standing on whoever somebody else is, you'll never be able to maximize that potential. That potential wasn't meant for you. Your potential is meant for you based on who you are uniquely. So. That's why my thing with Express didn't come about normally, um, like how things would for most people in modeling situations. Um, I did this photo shoot with these Express clothes because 
Express was a place I went to shop during the season because um, I needed to get new clothes. I they when I first went in, they didn't it didn't seem like they had any clothes my size. Then I found all these double X clothes that that fixed me that fit me when I tried them on. And I was like, these are stylists. I like athleisure wear, um, some sweats, some t-shirts, whatever. They got they got a bunch of different stuff there, but. Um, I realized when I did some research that they didn't market to anybody big because double XL is the biggest size they have in store. And, um, I, re- I, after I did that photo shoot, I was like, I called Chantal, who's the marketing girl at our, um, marketing lady at our, uh, agency. And I said, look, these clothes fit me really well. And, and the only big people that they market to are big, tall, slim people. And so, um, and they don't wear double XL. And so I thought, Marketing to a bigger audience can only help them. And these clothes, I feel like, are really stylish to me. I like them. And um, I don't see how they turn that away. I don't see how they turn out down an opportunity for somebody to bring about a, bring up or make larger a market that was small for them. So it only makes them more money. It's a win-win. Um, you know, we kind of figured out how we could how we can make it beneficial for them. And uh, it's who I am, man. It's like, that's what I like to do. I like to... To find my niche, I don't like to go with the crowd or go with whatever's popular. Man, just try to find the niche. So I think that's imperative. I think that's the the cool part is that you found a way to add value to that brand. Like it, it wasn't yeah. just solely about okay, I'm gonna do this deal so I can get some money. It was like no, nah, like I enjoy this. Like I'm gonna wear these clothes anyways, so why not? The COVID pandemic kind of halted some of those conversations, but we. We, uh, that's going to be an exciting venture in the future for what we hopefully can can do with Express. Yeah, and and to kind of put tie a bow on this whole thing, um, you know, we talked about you know this whole topic of name, image, likeness. Talked about kind of your experiences, you know, with Rubik's, with Express, but you know, we also touched on your relationships and staying connected at UT and Rice. And yeah. if you pull up Calvin's Twitter handle, like the banner picture is a split between Rice and Texas and you embrace that. Yes, and I think that's really cool. And the way you attack social media and, and your social media platforms is, is definitely got a purpose behind it. So what advice would you have to recruits? Because, you know, recruits and players in general, they have to understand that their Twitter handle and their Instagram are essentially their, their digital resume, you know, like, no doubt. You got people looking at you every single day that you could have business with. They could either be recruiting you or, you know, potentially you could be an employee for them. Like there are just so many avenues, like the exposure level is just ridiculous nowadays. Right. So I guess what, what advice would you have as far as one, finding your voice, but two, you know, putting your best foot forward when it comes to social media. Yeah. I think with social media, um, we're in a we're in a day and age where um, it needs to be a thought about purposeful venture, and so I know some guys just get on and it's you know it's just kind of whatever it's like days ago it's nonchalant, and I think that's not the way you should think about social media. I think you should think about social media as it's always an opportunity one for your voice to be heard, which is good, but it's also an opportunity for you to build a like you said resume and foundation of whatever you stand for. And so I think in having a voice, you should use your voice and you should put effort into using your voice effectively. And that effective will be based on 
who you deem yourself to be and what you want to represent. So, um, you know, that's what I think I always try to think about with, with my social media platforms, especially with Twitter, because, you know, you're more active with speaking to an audience. And um, you're right. I think the reason it's funny, that banner actually is a, uh, was a um, picture that we took for um, a football camp I hosted in Austin earlier this year. Um, and I think it's a big deal that I always, I mean, I'm, I'm always representing everything that I feel like I'm about. I feel like I represent Texas. I feel like I represent, when I say Texas, I mean the state of Texas. I think I got um, blessed with the opportunity to go to the best academic school in Texas, in my opinion, and the best football school in Texas, in my opinion, at the time. Um, maybe that'll change, go out in the future. But uh, I think that um, it's important for me to brand myself like that because that's what I feel like I stand for. I feel like I feel like, I, I feel like I represent Rice University. I feel like I represent UT football. Um, and so, you know, you, I, I, I'm purposeful about, um, setting my social media up in a way that, that does that. And so uh, I'd say to guys, be purposeful about it. Don't just get on social media and, and, you know, talk crazy or don't chase followers or whatever. I think you should be purposeful about standing for something. Um, because I think anybody can remember anybody who looks at your, um, social media platforms will respect and understand, you know, a solid foundation. Um, and respect that. So. Dude, this was awesome. And I, I'll save the transfer portal for you to return on the show uh, another time. Cause I think <laughs> no we would probably, we, we'd probably go another hour or so, but um, yeah, before, before I let you go, um, you know, give us just one word of advice to players, parents, and coaches, starting with players. One word of advice for players. I would say, don't let anybody else define what your end state is. You should think about it. You should pray about it. You should come up with what your end state is because at the end of the day, you're going to be, have, you're going to have to be the person who lives that life and um, deals with whatever that end state is. So um, make it your own. Don't make it somebody else's. Make it your own. Be unique um, and chase your own dream. What about parents? Parents, I would say, um, this was applicable to my parents too. I think for parents, you should allow your child, son or daughter, um, to become fully who they are. Don't limit them. Don't put them in a box. Um, don't push them in directions that they don't want to go. Let them authentically become who they are and then support that. That's what we really want from our parents. And then what about their high school coaches? High school coaches, I would say, um, Honestly, my, my rapport with high school coaches is really good. So I would say high school coaches continue to do what you do. I have a great respect for people who pour into young men, especially the, in, at that age where we're, uh, we're very moldable in that high school age. So continue to do what you guys do. Push us to be better men and better sons. And, um, you know, I just, I really appreciate high school coaches. So I would say continue to do what you do. We, we wouldn't be where we are. We wouldn't have these great athletes or, you know, great men, great professional men without high school coaches. So I'm thankful for that. Absolutely. So where can our followers uh, catch you on Twitter and social media? You can catch me on Twitter. Let me make sure I got my handles right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna rush through it. <laughs> you can catch me on Twitter at. Um, I think it's all caps too, right? Yeah, all caps. The underscore Conda twenty five. That's Twitter. Instagram, you can follow me at the Conda, all undercase, the Conda underscore twenty five, and uh, those are the two big ones. So <laughs> Let's stick with those. 
Good stuff. Good stuff, man. Well, I'll let you uh, get back home and, and knock out those tacos. If if you still haven't gotten home with those tacos yet, then we've got a problem with the courses <laughs> that you went to. I promise I will get them soon. I didn't get them, but I think it's I think it's mostly my fault. They might have given them to somebody else to eat. Wait, have you literally been sitting in the parking lot this entire time? Yeah, man. I've been locked in. Holy cow. Well, <laughs> good luck. I'm sure you're starving, but uh, thanks again, man. Uh, look forward to seeing you hopefully soon, hopefully when this stuff yeah. goes away. And um, best of luck, you know, training for the season with the Broncos. And uh, keep being you, man. Appreciate it, Alex. Can't wait for the next time, man. Contract here, so I'll be, I'll be grinding. Go Rice, as always, hooking. Until next time. Love it. I appreciate you, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Alex. Yes, sir. <laughs>